Congress is back, and IVF is still under attack. Hey, girls and guys, I'm Brady with an I, and this is Did You Hear the News? Another week, the same old drama. Without delay, let's just get to it. On the presidential front, Joe Biden goes to the southern border. And the former guy goes too. So there was two competing visits from the president and the former president at the border this week. And as you can imagine, one was a little more saner than the other. Of course, President Biden came. He talked about factors that cause immigration and all the Russians or, you know, the influx of immigrants that they're seeing coming in at the border and, you know, all the things they want to do and how they had a bill and it fell apart because the former guy said, hey, don't do this until election time because I want to run on it. And he actually called him out and was like, hey, like, let's come together and push for this bill to be passed because it's a good bill. And I kind of didn't, you guys know how the news organizations have to write headlines so that they can get clicks. I saw one headline, I think it might've been from the New York Times that basically said Biden calls on Donald Trump to work together to craft immigration laws and like no that's not exactly at all what he said he said basically come together and let's push for this deal that has already been agreed upon to be adopted in so long whatever like i don't know why he did that either i think it was more like kind of like a test to say if you really want immigration reform if you really want something done like, let's stop playing games and just let's do it. It wasn't like he was saying, you know, we can work together because we don't always have to be enemies. We can sometimes even like, no, it was him basically telling Donald Trump, put your money where your mouth is. Simultaneously, he is miles and miles away, basically calling immigrants murderers and rapists and terrible people. The same story, the same message he's had since he's come down the elevator. I don't even know how these communities continue to vote for this guy because somehow they think they're not going to be touched. And I'm like, you absolutely are. Everything that you love is going to be touched by a Donald Trump presidency. But anyways, so of course, you know, because they were there at the same time on the same day, it was like a big deal. It was kind of like, you know, dueling uh, press conferences and they made a big deal about that. But the point is, like, Joe Biden has not been to the border uh, as much as many Republicans or other people have wanted him to be. So it was a big deal that obviously he went. And then also it was a bigger deal because Trump was there on the same day with Hannity from Fox News, who basically said it was a stunt that Joe Biden, the actual president, was going to the border, but then was like, catch me with Donald Trump 
at the border on the same day. Real weirdo stuff. Congress came back. The Senate came back, I think, on Tuesday. The House came back on Wednesday. The government was set to shut down on Friday. (laughs) These people went home for two weeks. And when I say these people, I mean Republicans. I mean Mike Johnson actually sent everyone home for a two-week recess when a government shutdown was coming. And IVF is still up in the air everywhere. And there's no funding for Ukraine and Israel and all these other, Taiwan. There's nothing's getting done. There's no immigration bill. Everything that they said that they wanted that eventually Democrats and President Biden met them on, there's nothing. So that's that on that real fun stuff. Addison Mitchell McConnell is stepping down. He's stepping down from leadership. He's not leaving, unfortunately. He's just not going to be the leader anymore come November after the elections, obviously. I think he saw the writing on the wall. His health is declining right before our eyes in ways that you guys would never let Joe Biden have. He froze on camera in public twice, and he'd already been having some very clear health issues. You know, we saw his hand look like he had worn a horcrux for a long time in his life. It looked dead. He came back from the dead, purple lips, appendages looking like they were going to fall off. He's still here. He's still kicking, but he can't do anything with his party anymore. Back in his day, he had so much power. He had so much respect. And he literally let all of that fall by the wayside because of Donald Trump. Now, to be fair, everyone says, oh, we got this and that because of Donald Trump. But nothing, none of that happens. Three Supreme Court justices under Trump don't happen without Mitch McConnell. Okay, the same man who was meeting with GOP legislators while President Obama Obama is dancing at his inauguration to at last or whatever Beyonce might have sang, this man is meeting with his GOP counterparts talking about how to make one of the most popular presidents ever a one-term president. Like, this is a terrible guy. So I'm not sad to see him go at all. You know, I don't wish bad things on anyone, but I also don't wish him well. Many of you have said that his health issues were karma. I don't think health issues are karma because if that was the case, we wouldn't see so many good people that also have health issues too. It, it It doesn't track logically for me, but I think how people treat you when you're down, when you have such issues, is your karma. And the way that he has not cared about anybody that's not a rich white man a evangelical Christian, you know, Christo fascist, whatever they're calling them these days. Everything that he gets from the people that he crapped on, he deserves. So good riddance. I don't know why he won't just retire, but I mean, I guess that's just something you can't do these days in Congress. It's a sign of weakness. I don't know. But those people don't respect him anymore. He was already getting unpopular to Josh Hawley's and the Ted Cruz's of the Senate. 
don't respect him. He gets no respect in the house. Matter of fact, I think they basically said something to the effect of, we are sorry for our Democrat colleagues losing their co-Democratic leader or something like that because of the fact that Mitch McConnell, who is an older Republican, agrees with funding Ukraine like most older people who lived closer to those world wars do. So no love lost really on any side, on the Republican side, on the Democratic side, on the side of the people. I don't really think many people are sad to see him go. He teared up a little bit and I was just like, okay, whatever. And yeah, that's that. He also had a sister-in-law pass away. So his wife's sister passed away after her Tesla crashed in a body of water and she drowned. I don't know all the backstory to that. I know that that's what happened. That's the gist of it. Some people are saying like, is it me or is it a conspiracy? I'm not going to get into that, but I'm sure that that probably had something to do with the fact that he's like, you know what? This ain't even worth it anymore. I I did all this for you guys and this is how you treat me. I feel like that's, that's what we're getting from him. So, you know, bye Mitch. Bye Mitch. 99 problems with a Mitch ain't one. That's what they said on Pod Save the World. I'm pretty sure uh, other people use that reference too, but he he's out of there. So I honestly, I, the celebration was short-lived for me because we are seeing a lot of, and I hate to frame it this way because that would make me seem like I think Mitch McConnell is a, actually a decent person. We're seeing a lot of the more principled those who actually respect the ha- the body of like the house the senate the congress are leaving on the democrat and the republican side but mainly on the republican side these these members are leaving and then they're getting replaced with more right wing like radical outlandish people which is a problem i mean the gop they vote pretty closely together as a block anyway but to have these like fanatical people the middle the moderates are never going to be able to win because of how radical their right wing is and then you have a speaker who lives life on the edge because of how radical that right wing is and he knows it will only take one person to get him out so to celebrate Mitch McConnell leaving is one thing, but to be prepared for whatever next terrible person replaces him is another. Apparently, it's between the three Johns, John Barrasso, John Thune, John Cornyn. I don't know why we couldn't throw any more names in there for diversity, but whatever. Those three are kind of like the top guys right now. It's unsure if the former guy is going to Put his weight behind anyone. Uh, we already know in the Senate, things are a little different than in the House. They could do like a secret ballot and then nobody will know who's going to vote for who. And that might make it easier than for them to be able to vote for leadership without the thought that he's going to basically watch who's voting and how they vote and like primary against them and things like that. So they're all beholden to this man. And that's a problem for us because 
he is deranged and he really only cares about getting vengeance on people. He's one of those people that feels like the Lord, the vengeance isn't his. It's It belongs to him. So <sighs> we'll see what happens at this point. I'm just... I'm just so happy that Mitch McConnell will never be in leadership again. And even if the next person is as crazy as him, I don't think they'll be as smart as he was. But we could, we we never know. There are a lot of people that worked there with him for years, so they could have well. He could have been training up a replacement. I don't know. It's not as clear cut kind of as it was when Nancy Pelosi left the house and they already kind of knew that Hakeem Jeffries was going to take over and everybody was behind it. It's a little bit different because like I said, some of those guys in the Senate don't like him either. So fun stuff. Now, if you guys recall last week, we discussed the decision from Alabama Supreme court to decide that embryos are people, which meant that things like IVF and other Fertility treatments were up in the air because if an embryo is a person and it has the same rights as a child, if something happens to those embryos or they're destroyed, like no one would know who would be held liable because apparently at that point, destroying the embryo would quote unquote technically be murder if an embryo is a person. So that just kind of sent everyone's hair on fire and, and people were spiraling and nobody really knew what to do. And, you know, clinics were pausing IVF treatments because what does that mean? Like, are you saying if we discard of embryos, we're going to jail? Does that mean if we implant embryos in a woman and they don't survive? We're like, nobody knows the answers because the GOP love to overturn things and then have nothing set up to basically set it right or to give any guidelines. So that's it. All the Republicans scrambling. Like I told you last week, they were trying to backtrack. They were, oh my gosh, well, we're definitely for IVF. We are so for IVF. And it's like, that's not the point. IVF is just a symptom of the problem when you say that an embryo, which is literally just a fertilized egg that is in a Petri dish that's in a freezer, has the same rights as a literal living, breathing, walking child. That is the actual issue because now that calls into question so many other things that you numb nuts obviously weren't thinking about. So, like I said, we saw this push for Republicans to, you know, hey, when they're on these shows, do you support IVF? What do you think about IVF? But surely you don't want to get rid of IVF. And they're like, oh my God, absolutely. IVF, we love people having more children because that's the only reason that people should even be doing the thing anyway is for kids. So no, absolutely. We're not, we're not against IVF, but in the Senate, Senator Tammy Duckworth was like, well, great. I had my children due to IVF. What a blessing it was for me and my family. I want other families to have that too. So let's go ahead and pass this bill that I sponsored here to protect IVF. And GOP was like, oh, my, oh my God, no, well, we can't do that. Now, you're taking it a bridge too far. We can't protect IVF. I mean, we believe in it, but we can't protect it, right? Because what do you think we're here to do, actual work? So they said, no, IVF, 
you know, we believe in it, but we still think that it should belong to the states, which once again is absolute insanity because we already see the scramble that's going on in states who are literally saying that embryos are children. I don't even, once again, one can go in a freezer and one cannot. If you put your baby in a freezer right now, you're going to jail. Like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I, I really don't know what to tell you. So I'm just going to say, if you thought that Republicans were gung-ho and behind IVF and, you know, just this Alabama Supreme Court is just rogue and we don't even know why they would do that. It's not like Republicans are for it. Yeah, they are. They are. Because once again, like I told you last week, they had already sponsored bills that would do exactly the same thing as the ruling in Alabama that said embryos were people, which would have led to the same struggles now that they're having in Alabama, but nationwide. So you can't trust these people. Don't let them spin words. They don't care as long as they can control other people and the decisions that they make. They're going to absolutely do it. IVF was the next straw. It's going to be birth control and IUDs and all of that next because they want women barefoot and pregnant, no matter the danger to them or anyone else in society. I read an article this week about how Texas has more pregnant women murdered since they started because they actually had their very restrictive abortion um, ban like a year prior to Dobbs being overturned. So you're starting to see the effects of that where pregnancy is very dangerous for women. Like women die due to homicide at higher rates when they're pregnant. And it's also used as a tactic by abusers to keep women trapped. So it's like, what, what are you trying to do if not, further these types of things like Greg Abbott said oh we don't need to put exceptions for rape or incest in our bill because hello we're going to get rid of rape and incest in Texas like don't you even worry and he has not done that and women have not been saved so I don't believe these guys don't believe them when they say oh no that's a fringe idea you know we don't all support that they do they do because if it comes up in the senate or the house they're not going to vote for it. They're going to vote against it. You can't trust these guys. In more, the Supreme Court has no credibility, and I've lost all confidence news. We found out this week that the Supreme Court will be taking up the Trump immunity case. Now, why? I don't know. Is it necessary? I don't think so. Are they wasting time? Absolutely. The Supreme Court decided that they're going to take up the case of whether or not former presidents have presidential immunity after they leave office for official acts they did. So the wording is very specific, but it kind of leaves open the question about, well, what if it's a current president who did official actions like well, are they immune then? It doesn't really answer that question. It's specifically about a former president who did official actions while president, 
but is no longer president. So that's the, the question that they're going to be answering. Now, here's why I say it's a joke, because why do we need this? Besides the fact that, oh, you're just the Supreme Court and you want to be the end-all, be-all, like complete arbiters of truth, why is this necessary? Jack Smith asked these guys in December to let's skip all the other stuff and go straight to the Supreme Court. And they're like, mm, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. And then the appeals court, three-judge panel was like, yeah, absolutely not. We don't buy this that you should be able to kill your political opponent and if you're not impeached for it and you're not convicted, you just skate free. Like, we don't we don't believe that. So it was a hard no from all three. It was not like it was one was, like, on the fence and the other. No, it, all three of them were like, no thanks, no ham, no Sam. And, of course, the former president and his team appealed to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court could have literally let this and was like, we're going to let that stand. However, some people were like, they feel as if they might have taken it up because that case is more so, it's a federal case, but it might only apply for a state. But if the Supreme Court absolutely comes in and makes a ruling, that decision stands for the whole uh, country. But what really grinds my gears is the schedule that they set up. At this point, it's so blatantly clear that these people are trying to delay for the former guy because the ruling that could help him, which is the ruling about whether or not he can be on the California ballot, which we might hear Monday because apparently they are going to be releasing a ruling on Monday. So we might figure out what they decided on that. But that ruling... We know it's most likely going to help Trump. Not all of the justices were pretty gung-ho or sure about the fact that um, he should be kicked off of a ballot in a state because it is a national federal race. And so that would affect the national race. And they didn't feel like a state should be able to do that. Okay, totes understand, right? But they fast-tracked that. They got it in asexually. They heard arguments asexually. They're going to release the opinion asexually. But when it comes to the case that could likely hurt him, they're slow dragging it, right? Which only helps him because the point is he has a criminal case in Manhattan for, you know, the Stormy Daniel Hush payments. And that is... The end of March, like March 25th is when it starts. And then on the calendar for May is the documents case. Now, the idea is that (laughs) Judge Eileen Cannon, who was Trump appointed, who has already made some decisions that have people side-eyeing because they were obviously for the benefit of the former president. And actually, I think it was overturned. Um, because everybody was like, girl, what? That don't make no sense. So we've already seen bias with her, right? And we've already seen the ways in which she's trying to kind of drag this case along. So she is essentially holding her date in May, even though we know it's not going to happen in May. But it's like she's holding that date to the very last minute. And then it's possible she can like move it out, move it out, move it out ever so slowly until it's about July, right? 
And at that point, if the Supreme Court, because they have decided that they'll hear the arguments on April 22nd. So you got to understand that these people were asked to look at this in December. That's 160 plus days from when they were originally asked to even look at the case to when they're going to hear arguments. And it's quite possible that they won't even release their judgment until June, which is normally when Supreme Court rulings and judgments are, you know, all of that information comes out when they release their rulings in June. So it's like, we see you guys. You know we can see you, right? You know we can see you. And then on top of that, I was listening to, you know, some legal experts, and they said that it could take 30 days for the ruling to even be released, right? So if they release it and say, guy, you absolutely don't have immunity at all. The way that the appeal was set up is that they literally can't even start proceedings for that case until the statement is not just comes out to us, but they have to like release it back to the court. And it could take an additional 30 days for that to happen. So it's like we we can see you guys playing in our faces. We can see what you guys are doing to help that guy. Because the point is they don't want this to go to trial before the election, right? Because it's very likely that this man is going to be convicted. Strong facts. In all of these cases, technically, now the Alvin Bragg, Hush Money, everybody's a little mm, about that one. But these other three cases, strong facts. Strong facts. Pictures of documents strewn across the floor in the bathroom, in banquet rooms, (laughs) strong evidence. So the point is we don't, they don't want these cases to come to trial before he's elected. And they pretty much want them to die, right? Because then if he's elected, none of this is, all of this goes away. Like we already know all of this goes away. So disappointment's not even the word, but it's the Supreme Court. Uh, Unfortunately, it's like, they're a kangaroo court at this point. I hate that my girl, Justice Brown, is on there because she is so, so good. But with a 6-3 court, it just gets drowned out. Like, there's really nothing she can do as brilliant she is. Justice Sotomayor, Justice Kagan. Like, there's nothing that they can do because these people are crazy. <laughs> like, they're crazy. And Clarence Thomas should act absolutely recuse himself i mean absolutely but we know he's not going to do that his wife was texting mark meadows trying to help overturn the election this man should recuse himself for anything that has to do with donald trump and especially his election interference trial and he's not going to do that so and i can guarantee you he's probably one of the four who voted to take up this case because remember You only need four justices to vote to take the case. So I can almost put money on it. He was one of those justices. Now, I saw people online being really messy, saying that Jack Smith could basically shut this all down by subpoenaing his wife in at least one of these cases. I don't know if Jack Smith would do that. I would laugh if he did, but I don't know that he would do that. Uh, Some people seem to believe that he still is going to charge like the people in Congress, those 
House members, you know, some of them had already asked for immunity. Um, Jenny Thomas, that's what some people believe. I don't know that to be true. I think there's hope that with another four years, we can get much farther. Merrick Garland completely dropped the ball, fumbled it, all of that stuff when he decided to wait so long because he was trying to look impartial and it only made it look more political because he was not doing the job that he would normally do if it wasn't the former president. So we're going to keep an eye on that. We'll see what happens on Monday to see if they actually release the ruling about Colorado because Illinois just this week, I believe they actually also removed him from the ballots. (laughs) These people were like, get him off. Get them off. And if y'all tell us to put them back on, maybe. Because it's really so close to a lot of these primaries that it's not even clear if like he's taken off, he'll, he'll be put back on immediately. Nobody knows. But we did have a Michigan primary last week. Uh, Donald Trump did win that, as expected. And this Tuesday is Super Tuesday, so we have almost like 20-plus states that will be having their primaries. He could very well clinch the nomination this week. And then we'll know that our current president, who they're trying to impeach with no evidence, is going to be running again against a twice-impeached president who was found liable for sexual assault, would have been raped if the standards in New York were the same as the federal standards. Defamation. 91 felony counts, credible counts at that, will be running for president. So we'll see how that goes. You know, I'll give y'all guys updates. I'll give y'all the news. Moving right along. Hunter, Hunter, Hunter. Hunter Biden was back on Capitol Hill after he shook the darn table about a month or two ago when he showed up unexpectedly to a hearing to hold him into contempt for not complying with the subpoena to testify. So backstory, of course, you know, they're trying to impeach the current president so that while he runs against the former president, the former president can look at him and say, look, he has an impeachment too. That's literally the only reason they're doing it, as evidenced by the zero evidence that they have of him doing anything that's impeachable. So Hunter Biden and his uncle, Jim Biden, were both subpoenaed to testify closed door in front of the committees. Now, Hunter Biden said, I ain't coming closed door because I already know how y'all spend stuff. But if y'all want me publicly, I'm I'm glad. I'm happy. I'm I'll do it right now. And they were like, absolutely not. We want you to come do it behind closed doors so that we can clearly come out immediately after and lie about everything you said. And so they decided to hold a contempt hearing to hold him in contempt for not complying with that subpoena. And he popped up at that hearing, which was so crazy. I mean, they were scrambling. Everybody was scrambling. The Republicans looked crazy because once again, he's like, listen, like I said, I will testify here in public in front of all these people. Ask me your questions. I'm here. And Nancy Mace of South Carolina, I mean, 
I think she went to the Nikki Haley School of Flip Floppery because that lady's always all over the place. She's moderate when it helps her in her district. She's extreme MAGA when it helps her in the House. And she just, you know, was Marjorie Taylor Greene in it, honestly, about Hunter calling him a coward and saying he wouldn't testify. And it was crazy because literally he was like, hey, girl, if y'all call me up right now, I'll, I'll testify. So what are you talking about? And the Democrats really ate Republicans up, obviously, because if you really want to hear from this guy, here he is. But they did not do that. And then so there was some back and forth. And finally, Hunter was like, "Okay, like, if this is the best we can do, then I'll come meet with you guys behind closed doors. But there got to be some some rules here. So they did not record it. And they said, we'll make the transcript available immediately to everybody, not just the Republicans, because sometimes the way it works is the majority party might get the information first and then the minority party. But they were like, everybody will get it at the same time. And then we'll release it like almost immediately, maybe within 24 hours. So then that the public can read it as well. So you don't, you're not going to have a lot of time to spend. So try to get your spins together now. So Jim Biden, he actually testified last week and then Hunter was this week. So, of course, it was testy. I did not read all the pages of the, the transcript, but it, of course it was testy. Of course, they could not tie him down for anything. Point blank period. The point he made was like, my dad was not involved in any of my business stuff. Like, I've lived this life all of my life. Like, I know how this works. I would not do anything like that to put my dad in jeopardy, even if I was kind of like, you know, selling influence to him because, you know, I was on drugs and I was out in these streets, but I would never actually put him in it so that you numb nuts can have a reason to come against him but as you see they don't need reasons so a few things he cleared up he cleared up a lot of the conspiracies like once again his father did not have anything to do with his business he did not benefit from his business he was not a part of any of his business he did not get any money for his business and he did not basically there was no laws or policies that were affected by the business that Hunter Biden was doing because Joe Biden had nothing to do with it everything was separate they also brought up the fact that they were trying to say he had all these shell companies. He was like, listen, y'all got my bank statements. Y'all got my tax records. Y'all talked to the banks. The banks even said these are credible bank accounts. They're not shell holdings. Like They're real bank accounts where legal activity is happening. He basically shut down the fact that there were these text messages or there were apparently some WhatsApp messages where they say, he told, um, I think, a Chinese businessman, like, the big guys here right with me right now or my dad's here with me. And he was like, listen, that was 2017, and your boy was high all the time. So if I even said that, I regret that I did because it obviously wasn't true. Like, my dad wasn't there with me, but the drugs was. Like, it is what it is. Uh, he apparently went back and forth with um, Matt Gates. It got a little testy because Matt Gates was, asking him about his drug usage, and he was like, hey, my guy, everybody else at this table, maybe, but you can't ask me about no drugs. You, you can't ask me about no drugs because 
Matt Gates has also been accused of using drugs too. I trying to use Hunter Biden's addiction against him at this point, I just feel like it's just kind of disgusting and unnecessary. He had addiction. He's been open about his addiction. He's been open about his sobriety four and a half years. He's working on it. What are we doing here? There's still nothing to pin Joe Biden to Hunter's business dealings. They're still trying to say because Joe Biden loaned his brother $200,000 and then his brother paid him back that $200,000 that that's egregious, which is crazy because James Comer and his brother have also done the same thing or they've also moved property around in each other's names at different times, things like that. They were like, oh my God, this money, all you, all this money that you got that you saved for a pickup truck, it was $4,000. I mean, a pickup trucks are not, they're not cheap. So $4,000 that was loaned to Hunter from his father that once again, he paid back for a pickup truck. That's not crazy, my dude. Like, and you see the bank records, you can see all of it. Like, it's not like he was like funny and said, Oh, I pay him back in cash. Like, you're literally looking at it and you're still trying to tell me something nefarious is going on. Whatever. Also, they still can't pin this $5 million that Joe Biden apparently got because he fired the guy who was looking into Burisma, but was not actually looking into Burisma. He was actually not doing anything about corruption, which is why many of the Western nations wanted him fired and which is why Joe Biden fired him. There's no there's no money there. Once again, all your star witnesses are either in jail or indicted for lying or in jail because they weren't lying. You have nothing. You have nothing. So at this point, they are going to hold a public hearing, which I honestly can't, I mean, I can't wait to see. They, I don't think they've announced the date yet, but I can't wait to watch. You know, they tried to use the excuse that, oh, well, I think when you read the transcript, it's going to read well. That's what Andy Big said. It's going to read well because you could tell that they had him prepped very well. And it's like, they're, they're basic. I don't, I don't know if you guys don't know this, but you're not asking hard questions. <laughs> like, they're basic questions, and I have the answers to them. Like, I don't, if that's real well-read, then great. Oh, another thing that Hunter Biden debunked, because a lot of this is they were trying to say that Hunter Biden was on this board for Burisma and got all these jobs, and he was not qualified. He had no credit. They love to, step number one, they love to try to discredit he has no experience. He's not even fit for this job. How, why would he get this job? Now, we're not talking about Jared Kushner, who couldn't even get a security clearance. And his father-in-law had to actually push for him to be let into that role he was in because he had, number one, no background in it and some shady issue going on in the background and still got $2 billion from another foreign government, which Hunter Biden called out. Like, I'm not Jared Kushner. <laughs> I never got money from a government and he got $2 billion and y'all not looking at him. You're looking at me because my dad loaned me $4,000 and then you're calling me unqualified. But baby, let me tell you all the boards I sat on big boards. Like he has the qualifications and it was so funny because I think 
one of the questions he was answering, like he was like, hey, I mean, I already told you I'm qualified. They were like, oh, we don't want to hear your qualifications again. Because you know that it doesn't hold up, right? Basically, you're trying to make it seem like this guy had no qualifications. He was put on this board because of his last name. Now, am I saying that people did business with him or didn't do business with him because of his last name? I'm not saying that. I'm pretty sure many people saw the last name and was like, let's get in there. But to say he had no qualifications and he was on the board just because of his last name and then he used that to enrich himself and his father because his father obviously had something to do with it. Where's the receipts? Like Winnie Houston said, show me the receipts, Diane. Show me the receipts. Where are the receipts? They don't have any. So we will see a public hearing with Hunter Biden. I can't wait. Um, they probably will have James Bi- Jim Biden there too. I think his name is James. So they probably have James Biden there as well. And we already know Republicans are going to be doing the most because there will be cameras. But I fully expect the Democrats to probably come in and eat them up the same way they they did when they held the contempt um hearing and all the other impeachment hearings where once again the Republicans witnesses said. Joe Biden was not involved. He was not involved. He might have called. Hunter answered. Even Hunter in his deposition said, my dad called me all the time and I, and I answer the phone every time my daddy called. Because in my family, we've experienced so much loss. I don't play them games. My daddy called. I answer the phone. My dad could call me right now. And I probably answer and put him on speakerphone and say, hey to y'all. And then it's business as usual. I'm always going to call. I'm always going to answer my dad call. So. I don't know. It's just it's just giving a lot of. I ain't never had love. I don't know the love of a parent. I wish my daddy loved me too. Like that's that's what it's given to me. So, once again, big nothing burger. We've gotten no closer to an impeachment of Joe Biden. I'll keep you updated on when that hearing is coming and what happens in that hearing. And last, but most certainly not least, we had two hearings in the Fulton County case against the DA, Fonnie Willis, to remove her from that case for... (laughs) Basically, the defense attorney saying that she was enriched by this and there was a conflict of interest and she needs to be kicked off this case. (sighs) The first hearing. Terrence Bradley was back. And if you know anything, if you listen to the last few episodes of this podcast, you know why I sigh very hard because Terrence Bradley, his testimonies are always the worst. They're always terrible. They brought him back because the judge said in the second day of the first set of, you know, the first two days of the hearing that he felt like after some additional questions were asked of Mr. Bradley that he didn't necessarily understand the privilege argument. So he brought him back on the stand and he was questioned again about these text messages. And I kept saying, tell us more about these text messages, these text messages, these text messages, because you, Miss Merchant, keeps bringing up these text messages. So we find out a little more, especially after the hearing. And it literally... Everything that I said that I thought was basically solidified from his hearing. 
Mr. Bradley basically said, no, literally said, I was speculating. So let me take you back. We're having these hearings once again because Nathan Wade was going through a divorce. And in the documentation of his divorce, his wife accused him of or mentioned him having a relationship with Fonnie Willis and accused him of doing things to hide basically the money that he was spending in that relationship or whatever. And that became public. And then, of course, the defense attorney for a Michael Romans, who is a part of this RICO case, who was cool with Nathan Wade, who basically, when he was running for judge, was wearing his shirt, was telling people to vote for him, and had some kind of a friendly relationship with his former attorney slash business partner. Like, these people all know each other. Everybody knows each other. Like, once again, Atlanta's small. Georgia's not that big. Everybody knows each other. These people have been in courtrooms with each other, all this stuff. They have each other's phone number. So... Once the text messages between Terrence Bradley and Miss Merchant, whose husband is actually also (laughs) representing this client, you know, they're married. Once again, they're married, which means people date in this world. They get married. They have relationships all the time. There's nothing crazy about that. But she... I guess, reach out to Terrence for some kind of got you, right? Because she they're, they're chatting like girlfriends over text message, right? And she's going like, oh my God, like, do you think? And th- we'll come back to the do you think because that was driving me crazy in all the hearings. And I was like, if you guys don't talk about that, do you think? I'm going to lose my mind. But bas- basically, these chatty Cathy's were talking about the gossip about you know everybody finding out that Fonny and Nathan because once again these people are already broken up we didn't even know that they were dating when they were dating they're already broken up but now that these divorce proceedings are happening this information is put into the record now it's public oh my gosh now we know that they dated for a spell and so the, basically like you hit your home girl up Ashley hit Terrence up and was like oh my god like did you See that Nathan was taking Fonny to here and there, and they were on these islands, and he was buying her all this stuff. And he was like, Oh my God, what? Like, what are you talking about? And she literally asked him point blank, like, Well, do you think they were in this relationship before he became head prosecutor? And Terrence Bradley responded, Absolutely. And once again, they went back and forth. Apparently, they talked for like months for a long time about what was going on, just like a lot of gossip, a lot of speculation. Terrence never said, and I know that because I saw him or he told me on this. There was none of that in the text messages. It literally was two homegirls gossiping, basically. And at that point, it looked like, now obviously Terrence should have been smarter. You already know she's the defense attorney for one of the defendants on the case. So this isn't just gossip. Anything you're saying can be used. You should have known that. But 
based off of the text messages, you can see this guy, he does not like Fonny and he does not like Nathan Wayne. Okay. He's still upset about the fact that he was let go because he was accused of sexual assault of not just a client, but also someone who worked at the law firm. He was let go. Obviously, he's still upset about that. So in these text messages, you can kind of see him feeding her information, not necessarily saying like how he knew or like how he could prove it, but just kind of like feeding her information and she taking it. And he also, he called Bonnie and Nathan arrogant and all this stuff. Like he does not like these people. And it's very clear in the text messages. They actually, I think they released those to the public or I've seen articles about them, but he he was talking cash trash about these people in these text messages. But once again, it just goes to the fact that it was gossip that was used to basically file a motion to get someone disqualified from a case that is actually has, once again, a lot of evidence. Like, once again, Fani, I think, has said that they intend to produce like over 160 acts in which that took place to overturn the, the election. So that's not any small feat. Like the case is strong, but you're trying to remove me because I did something a little strange at nighttime with somebody who's on my team. Okay. It's not like I was working with a defense attorney and I offered him something, you know, it's not like that. We're on the same team. We have the same goal. Where is this conflict of interest? And I'm going to tell you, these people never, ever pointed it out. They never got to that point of telling us what the conflict of interest was. It was just crazy. So let me get back to, I'll get back to that. Well, let me get back to Nathan. I mean, not Nathan, but Terrence's testimony. Terrence said he speculated. Of course, they tried to drill him down on that. What do you mean you speculated? You never said you speculated. You were talking in these text messages like you knew what was going on. What are you talking about? You speculated. And he like, why would you? One of the, the lawyers asked him, like, why would you lie? And he was like, I can't, I can't really answer that. Like, why he was like, why would you speculate about that? And he's like, I can't answer it. Um, and I was like, because that's what people do when they gossip, right? You asked me what I thought and I told you what I thought, but I can't tell you. I didn't tell you specifically why I thought that. And I can't tell you any other details other than that's what I thought. But you're using this as if it's an affidavit. And the judge even brought that up in the hearing. Once again, we'll get back to that. But the point is that I don't know if Terrence is telling the truth. Because Every time he gets on the stand, it's dodgy at best, okay? He is, he's being very squirrely because obviously he doesn't want to be involved. And the understanding, I think, or that I read that he had was that he would provide all this information to Miss Merchant, but she promised him that he would not be subpoenaed he would like no one would know it was him that said these things but then when the time came she put him on front street and that's not what they had agreed upon so now he doesn't want to help you either way because you promised me 
that I could give you this information hands off and I wouldn't have to be drugged in this. But you drug me in this anyway. So at this point, it's hard to say who he benefits. Will the judge see him as someone who's not credible either way? Will that hurt Nathan Fani or will that hurt the defense? He has all the text messages, so he should be able to read what we read. But how's he going to take it, right? Is he going to take it that? Literally, these two were speculating. They were talking. They were gossiping. He never said how he knew for sure. He never said he witnessed anything. He never said Nathan told him anything specific. He mentioned one conversation that they had in the back of his office years ago. But once again, he still held on to he had no personal knowledge of the beginning, the start of their relationship. So honestly, we got nowhere with that. It was just more frustration. Of course, those defense attorneys were frustrated because he was supposed to impeach Fonnie and Wade. He was supposed to be the person who proved that they were lying about when the relationship started. But he basically just further solidified for me and most people that watch that once again, you were disgruntled. You don't like these people anyway. You feel like they're arrogant. You were gossiping about them. But you don't really know what's up. You just can tell us what you think. So that hearing ended and I was just like, why are we Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And then came the closing arguments on Friday. The defendant lawyers got up in there I think there were about five or six of them and they all basically gave their piece one was talking about forensic misconduct one was talking about actual conduct but the real argument they were trying to make is that now listen to this there does not have to be an actual conflict of interest there just has to be an appearance of the conflict of interest. And they gave some cases, some case law that they felt like proved that there should only be, like the judge should only need to see what appears to be a conflict of interest and not an actual conflict of interest, which once again, that's like bonkers. That's bonkers. It's like, well, you, I can't, I don't need to prove that you killed those people. I just need to prove that it looks like you did. Uh, what are we, Judge McAfee, what are we doing here? So they bring up all of these things. They bring up, once again, the text messages where, and they're these people are literally saying it. And I'm like, you don't even hear, maybe you don't hear or you don't care that you're saying, I think when Miss Merchant says, do you think, 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 do you think that they started this relationship before he became social prosecutor? And he says, absolutely. They're treating that like the end all be all. Like this man was like, absolutely, girl, look at this picture. I got dated in timestamp to show you proof. They're acting <laughs> like that is literal evidence that they started a relationship beforehand <sighs> I was tired honestly I think the way that they did it 
the lawyers seem to do a good job at arguing, but once again, their points didn't make any sense, right? Because they still haven't proven any real conflict of interest, right? They're saying, oh, well, it only needs to appear to be a conflict, but what's the conflict, right? One guy actually got up and said, I believe that, or, you know, you're going to see in all of this evidence that Fonnie literally concocted this plan to hire her boyfriend and further enrich herself, which means she literally from jump would have had to say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to run for DA on bringing Trump down. I'm going to wait until he makes a call to find votes, which is obviously illegal. When he does that, I'm going to make sure that my boyfriend is on the case so me and him can go on trips to Aruba. It doesn't make any sense. You Literally, she'd have to be a diabolical mastermind to make Donald Trump do something that nobody's, well, let's not say no one expected him to do, but nobody knew he was going to do so that she could enrich herself and her boyfriend. Like, this is what she's been planning since 2019, right? Because the argument is that shortly after they met in 2019, they immediately started a relationship. So she was already in a relationship with this man for a year or two prior to her bringing him on. And this was all her plan. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So, like I said, I, I thought they were, in giving their own arguments, they were strong. It's like they really believed what they were saying. They really are. I mean, I got to give it to them. They're really fighting for their clients. But once again, there has been no clear-cut proof of impropriety. And then also they bring up the testimony of Mr. Bradley. And I thought the, what the Judge McAfee brought up was very interesting because I think it was, it might have been, I don't remember if it was during the defense or the state's argument, but basically the judge was like, these text messages aren't necessarily signed affidavit proof, right? Like what happens is you don't have, you know, he's like, you don't have a signed affidavit, which is basically them making a statement and then signing it to say everything that I said in here is completely true. You don't have one of those. And he was like, normally when a witness goes sideways, you could point to the affidavit to say, but here's what you wrote, but you don't have that. You have these text messages and this these weren't statements made under oath. Like this isn't someone signing this saying that I am clarifying that this is truthful information and I could stand to go to jail if it's not. Like you don't have that. So all you're going off of is the fact that these two people were gossiping and you're trying to use that to impeach two people who were actually in the relationship who probably can tell you much better than this man when a relationship started. 
And that's when I was like, finally, maybe we're getting somewhere. Like, maybe I'm not just losing my mind. Maybe this judge is actually thinking the same way I'm thinking. I don't know. It's too early to tell, but they did their thing. They took five-minute break. Then the state comes up. And, oh, my gosh, this, I guess he's the assistant DA or whatever. This young man, bless his heart. I wanted him to come stronger. Now, to be fair, he was, he seemed very smart. He seemed very knowledgeable. He seemed to really know the law, but he was, it was ums and uh and uh. It, 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 he didn't sound confident, and that was concerning to me. But once again, the judge is there to determine the factual evidence and all that stuff, not about how something sounds or if someone sounds like they're not confident in what they're saying so thank goodness because if we really had to go off of confidence and the strength of the argument it would not look good um but he got up and he basically was like well you know let's talk about some of the things that they're saying they bring up all these cases about case law saying that you only have to have the appearance of a conflict he's like but that's they're they're taking pieces of the cases, they're not giving you the full story. In all of these cases, there was an actual conflict of interest. And the cases actually say that a, if you have an actual conflict, then you also clearly have the appearance of a conflict. And it's not just the appearance of a conflict of interest that's enough. It's got to be an actual conflict of interest. Like you can't just say, I'm going to throw out this huge ginormous case where there is lots of evidence to where wrongdoing was done because it looks like there's a conflict of interest. Once again, you guys have not proven. He also mentioned the ways in which I blame the judge. All of this has gone off the rails. Like there was never any mention or there was never any proof of a conflict of interest it it was more so you guys bringing up things that didn't have anything to do with what we're talking about in an effort to embarrass the DA you're you're bringing up the lien on her house and if she had money here or there like you're bringing up her debt all of that stuff that has nothing to do with the case and it was crazy because at one point I'm thinking absolutely because the assistant DA says, you know, we're still talking about her enriching herself. He's like, it's all pure speculation. And the judge goes, and to be fair, the judge asked a lot of questions during the state side. So once again, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but he engaged a lot with the state arguments, a lot more than he did with the defense attorneys, even though he did engage with them. And he basically asked, he's like, well, is it speculation? Like, you know, we've already... We've already said, we've already confirmed that money exchanged hands, even if it was, oh, we went here and I paid for this and he paid for that or or I paid for it and you pay me back. We have already established that money changed hands. So that's no longer speculation. Speculation, wouldn't you agree? And the, the assistant DA was like, well, yeah, we've agreed upon that. But once again, the enrichment part, the part where she benefited from any monies that he got from the state, is still speculation because we've not seen any evidence 
to that. We've not seen where the lien on her house is paid off, or we've not seen where she lined her pockets. So all we saw is two adults go on vacation and pay for it and then pay each other back. Like even the guy who has the winery in Napa went on CNN and was like, yeah, I, I totally remember. He was like, she paid in cash. I thought it was kind of weird because, you know, I'm used to taking car, but she paid in cash and she tipped me well and she was very nice. So it's like you already have people who are confirming what she's saying. Why are we doing this? Like this, to say that she enriched herself, We where's the enrichment at? You haven't proved that. So I was just like, yeah, get, yeah, get to the meat, get to the meat. And then thank the stars above. He brought up the text messages that I think he was like to further show that this is speculation. We're talking about a text message where someone says, do you think? And he says, absolutely. That's speculation. He thinks that, but he doesn't know that. And he doesn't tell you how he knows that or why he thinks that, but he's telling you what he thinks. And that's not the same thing as irrefutable fact. That is speculation. That is hearsay. That is conjecture. Like, and how could we couldn't use that in a court of law? So why are we even giving it any breath here? And I was like, oh my, I was literally screaming at the TV, like, thank God you finally said it. And then he also brought up the fact that once again, Nathan Wade was not Fonnie Willis's first choice. It doesn't mean he's not qualified to do the job, but he was not her first choice to do the job. She asked at least one person. He mentioned the former governor of Georgia who actually testified and said, I absolutely said I was not going to take the case because I do not want security for the rest of my life. And the judge actually asked, he was like, okay, so I can't remember for sure his testimony, but did he say that he was asked to be the lead prosecutor or that he was brought on and, or he was he was asked to join the team? And the assistant DA was like, I, well, I don't fully remember either, but if my understanding is he was to understand that he would be taking the lead prosecutor role and he did not want to do that because he did not want to have to deal with the death threats and the constant security for the rest of his life. So... I was like, okay, he's making the points. He's making the points. They also brought up in one of their points, he had a PowerPoint. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Stick to the facts here. He also brought up because the defendants also argued that when Fonnie Willis went to a historically black church and she gave a speech, she mentioned race. And they said, oh, she's trying to taint the jury pool by basically making it seem like, you know, we're racist. And, you know, she talked about MAGA and she's trying to make you think that we're all MAGA or like our defendants are MAGA. And I was like, but they are, but okay. And they were like, you know, basically she's trying to take the jury pool by bringing race into it. And the assistant DA was like, well, first of all, you know, let's bring that up. Miss Willis said those things, but if you go back and listen, they were directly directed at two Congress people who had made statements because I think Marjorie Taylor Greene, he mentioned Marjorie Taylor Greene and the other person, I can't remember her name, but Marjorie Taylor Greene legitimately tweeted that Nathan Wade was not qualified, right? And so in Fonnie's speech, she basically called Marjorie Taylor Greene out for saying like, 
well, why isn't he qualified? Because he's a black man. Like, the black man can't be qualified, but y'all can. Like, that's crazy. And so the, the DA was like, she wasn't talking about these guys. She talked about clear other political elected officials, not anybody here. So I don't even know what we're talking about. Long story short, like I had said and I have been saying, they argued that there has been no proof of a conflict of interest. There's no proof that this case enriched her at any point. She, There's no proof that this was a scheme from the jump that she ran for DA with the purpose of just making sure she can nail Trump down and that she just knew he was going to do something. And when that happened, she was ready and waiting to put Nathan Wade on the case. Like they didn't prove that. And it was so interesting because the assistant DA did say like, if that's the case, then is she dating the former governor? Is she dating another man that he brought up? But the judge was like, basically kind of like, why can't you bring him up? Because he wasn't, he didn't testify. He wasn't brought up in any of the other testimonies. Why can't you bring him up? And I can't remember why the DA said, I think he mentioned some other statements or something that we did not hear publicly or, or might have been written into um, the proffer statements or something like that. So he was like, so that's how I can bring him up because of that reason. He also did touch again on Miss Yurti, which once again, I was like, thank you for hitting these all the points that I've been dying for somebody to hit because he brought up again the fact that once again, Miss Yurti, disgruntled ex-employee, all that to the side. She didn't even want to testify to begin with. She, you know, her lawyer tried to work to quash the testimony. And so the judge also kind of questioned him on that. He was like, so if you're arguing, he was also like, well, why can't we bring this up now? And he was like, because her attorney actually made these statements in their arguments. And he was like, stuff that to me didn't really make sense because I'm not like a legal mind. But basically he was like, I can bring it up for the reason that he was the one who brought it up. And so he was basically saying she didn't even want to testify. She wanted to quash the testimony anyway. And the judge was like, well, then why would she testify that way if she didn't want to testify at all? Like, why would she, why would she even come in and say those things if she didn't want to testify at all? Like, why wouldn't she want to testify? And the DA was like, because look at this, this is, he didn't say it the way I wanted him to say it, but he was basically like, Look at how all the national attention that this is getting. Like, everybody doesn't want that. She probably is. She's a normal, everyday person. We should not even know who this lady is. And and now she has to testify in a hearing about somebody she don't even rock with like that no more. And she has to do it in a televised hearing. <laughs> Why would she want to do that? Why would she want to do that? So... I thought that was a really good argument because I was like, nobody that testified really wanted to testify. They were all technically adverse witnesses because they weren't brought by the state. They had to be brought by the defendants. And some of them, obviously, you could tell, did not want to be there. Nobody wanted to be on that stand more than Fonnie Willis did. But you could tell that none of them really wanted to be there. And Ms. Yerty was no different. And then on top of that, the questions that were asked of her were like, were they dating beforehand? Yes. How did you know that? Or like, did you see them? He basically said the statements were led like, hey, so 
you pretty much know that Nathan and Fonnie Willis had started their relationship before he became special prosecutor. Yes, that's a leading question, right? It's not, do you know if or how do you know? It was just, I'm leading you into this answer and you're answering yes by my lead. It's not a normal question, basically. And also, there were no follow-up questions like, she said, I saw them hug and kiss. Okay. A friendly hug, a kiss on the cheek, a forehead kiss. What kind of kiss? When did you see it? Where were they at? Once again, Miss Willis said we, she didn't even live there when I lived there. And maybe we had visited her before, but we was just all people, friends kicking it. Like, so what are you talking about? When did you see them kiss? How did you know they was in a relationship beforehand? She was never asked those questions. And so once again, it's like, help help me help you, defense team. Help me help you. You focused most of your time on trying to prove that Fonnie and Nathan Wade weren't lying so that you could say, oh, you can't trust anything they say, but you didn't spend the time on actually showing the conflict or the enrichment. And that's what we're supposed to be here for. And Judge McAfee did a terrible job at reining them in. I think, I don't know if he was just trying to let them hang themselves. I just don't know, but I don't feel like any of this had to happen. It definitely didn't have to be televised in all of these hearings. Like most people were like, this could have been handled in an afternoon. Like he could have let them make their proffers. And then if he had more questions, he could have allowed evidence. He could have reviewed all of this on his own without everybody having to see it and having to be a spectacle and these people getting salacious and into information they didn't need. No, I did not need to know that Nathan Wayne had prostate cancer. I did not need to know that him and Fonny was doing the thing. Anyway, I did not need to know that Fonny prefers Grey Goose over wine. I, I, we didn't need to know any of this information and it has nothing to do with the actual criminal case against these people who are indicted. What are we doing? Anyway, so the judge was like, okay, thanks. They they did let they did let uh, the former president's lawyer come back up to do kind of like a um to basically counter what the state said, but it was short and he got really weird about her dad and he just kept saying like we supposed to believe that she was in a relationship and her daddy didn't know, like she didn't tell her daddy why her daddy and it was just like Hey, like, how many times are you gonna say, Daddy? Um, this is the same man who was caught on camera during the hearing where Bradley was testifying in his draws. So take that however you want. But, anyways, point blank period. If the judge kicks her off, you will know the fix is in. Even people who are legally trained and understand all this stuff are like. There, if there's a there there, it hasn't been proven. It hasn't been proven. It's not like these people were out living a life of Riley. Like they took a trip or two. It's not like they didn't have money before. Like they were destitute, and then suddenly this case came along, and they were big wigs. And even Jessica Tarlove on Fox News, and she's on the five at five, and she's like the only liberal voice, but she eats I mean every day she's eating them up because she's throwing out facts and even though Judge Janine 
off of five glasses of wine, tries to holler over her. She holds her own. So if you can stomach it, I would definitely say check uh, Jessica Tarlov out on the five at five on Fox News. That's the only time I'm going to tell you watch Fox News. The only time. But even she was like, these people went on a trip. They went to Napa. They went and looked at wine. And then they went back to the double tree. The double tree. Like, normal you and me can say at the double tree. I like the chocolate cookies. What are you talking about? Like, this is this is enrichment. They went back. Like, they might as well went to the Holiday Inn. Like, what are y'all trying... Like, what are y'all trying to say? Honestly, to me, it's given... Black people don't have nothing, so how dare they even try to live and have personal lives and have fun on the state dime? Like, what? How? How dare they have try to have a good life, a personal life, without us being in a business? Like that's that's what it's given. The fact that uh, attorney sat out was couldn't believe, just could not believe that they would not tell anyone about the relationship. What? Do your mama and your daddy know everybody that you talk to in life? Do they know every relationship you're in? Are they also like judges on a super huge case? The defense attorney on a super huge case that has national implications that everybody knows, love or hate, who has death threats against her, can't even live in the house she just bought, had to move out shortly after, family in danger, wouldn't even want to tell you where her children are located because y'all people are crazy. Like, why would she tell you all of her business for us to be right here where we are now? It's unnecessary. It didn't have to happen. I'm questioning Judge McAfee. He's apparently a young judge. He's just like 35 ish which is my age and this is a really big case and he doesn't have that experience similar with Eileen Cannon in Florida like they don't really have the experience to be taking on these big cases but the fact that the Florida senators are not allowing the Senate to actually put judges in so they'd have more judges there's only three and so the look at the draws we got Eileen Cannon And now for this case, in Georgia, we got another young judge who's never done this before. He's not used to this. What are we doing? It's a clown show. He has had no control over these hearings. What are we doing? So, yeah, that's where we are with that. He did say uh, at the end of the hearing, he's got a lot to look over and think about and He's going to give a ruling in within the next two weeks. I mean, hopefully it comes sooner than later. And hopefully it's like you guys did not meet the burden, which is supposed to be high, of kicking a district attorney off. If no district attorney can have a personal life, then why are, nobody's going to want to be a district attorney. So let's get back to what the actual issues are. They did say... um. <laughs> They did make the argument, the defense team that or the one of the defense attorneys that if he technically doesn't take her off the case and then I guess another like the appeals court did not agree with Judge McAfee not taking her off the case, then they'd have to be doing a whole nother. 
they'd have to be doing a whole nother trial similar to this, which once again, no, they don't. Like this doesn't have to, does not have to be putting Fonnie and Nathan Way on trial. Like this should have just been a backdoor case, but whatever. Most experts or, you know, people in the legal world in Georgia were like, listen, the judge has a lot of discretion in this case. It's very likely that the appeals court would not overturn the judge's decision if he decides not to take her off. So if the appeals court does not overturn it, then they wouldn't be doing the trial again. It would just go back to Fonnie and her team and they'll do whatever it is. Because once again, the implication is if Fonnie is taken off of this case, it's going to die. What other team is going to take it up? Nobody's going to want to take it up. Who can do Rico like she can? Nobody else, really. And it's dead, unfortunately. So I'm just like, I hope that Judge McAfee sees that once again, like whatever Fonnie and Nathan had, like this is not a court issue. Maybe it's an ethics issue. Like maybe it should be taken up with the bar, but it's not an issue that really should even be in the courts going through this kind of process and the facts of the case have nothing to do with this like she's not charging trump because she gets money for it or like she you know whether she gets a conviction or not like her office gets paid hourly whether they get a conviction or not but it's not like she's getting kickbacks for just indicting people and and that's where we might would see a conflict once again like even the judge and the uh, assistant DA kind of went back and forth with this. Like we're not seeing that kind of (laughs) conflict of interest at all. So we'll see. We'll see. At this time, it kind of looks like the former president is getting like these slight wins just because even if he decides not to take her off the case, like there is a tainting, but I'm like, if the jury pool can be tainted, in one way against Fonnie, you got to understand that it's being tainted as well against like the defense team and the judge because everybody's watching this and a lot of people feel like this was so unnecessary. Why Why did you even allow this? So I'm like, if, if you guys don't want to argue about the jury pool being tainted, it goes both ways. But that's neither here nor there. We'll have to play the waiting game like we do with everything else. So that we got Supreme Court decisions we got to wait on. We got this decision we got to wait on. We know that the former president was not allowed to delay having to pay his money in the fraud judgment. And actually, I think he put up the money for the judgment, but he did not put up the bond. And they're like, we're going to need that. So apparently he's scrambling. His $399 sneakers did not sell the way that they thought they were going to. So we'll see what happens. And I'll be there to tell you all about it. So once again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to Did You Hear the News? I'll see y'all next week.